<clears throat> this is the first day of this two-day December 2021 Sashim. And for the next two Dharma talks, we'll be talking from, we'll be reading from Opening the Hand of Thought, Approach to Zen uh, by Kosho Uchiyama. Uh, but first, I do like once in a while to just talk about uh, posture and working with pain, working with drowsiness. Um, pretty short, but I think it can be helpful for some um, to hear this. So with Sashin practice, um, in terms of pain, we always want to avoid the two extremes, or at least the one extreme. Um, which is the sharp pain. If there's any kind of sharp stabbing pain, then we need to get out of that posture and, and find something else. Uh, we don't want any kind of physical damage going on in the knees, especially. It has happened in the past. Um, the other extreme, I was going to say that there's no pain, but that's, that's impossible uh, when we're doing sashin. It's pain's going to come up. It could be dull, acute pain let alone all the other kind of pain that can go on, uh, mental uh, agony or emotional pain. Uh, but let's just focus on the physical pain and, and work with our posture. I think it was Aitken Roshi that talked about sitting on the front edge of our pain. So there is kind of like a, yeah, there is an edge to it. Um, too much and we just kind of, get lost in it and it's just it can be a little too excruciating um so again to find another posture but but at the same time um to not avoid it if 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 um it does arise and of course by not by by not avoiding it uh how do we do that how do we not avoid the pain well we just become one with the pain and what does one with the pain mean we just get into our practice. Uh, just putting our full attention on the practice that we have. So again, I brought up extremes. Um, here's another kind of um, two sides of the, of, of um, say if it's a, it's a bar, like on one side of the extreme, it's, it's to just try and white knuckle the pain. Uh, I think so many of us can, at the beginning of practice, do that to just bear down and just kind of like suck it up. Well, that's not. It's kind of a form of suppression, just trying to to bore into it or, or suppress it. And it might work for a little while, but ultimately, that's not the way. That's not that's not the way through the pain. That's not the way to get beyond the pain. And perhaps the other extreme is uh, clinging to it. Um, instead of trying to suppress it and wipe it out from our minds, uh, there's also the, the suppressing of it, of the, oh, non, excuse me, the clinging to it. This is why me? Or, you know, thoughts could be why me? Or when is this round going to end? When is that timer going to hit the bell? Uh, and so on and so forth. That's just going to make things worse. It's just going to, exacerbate the pain in our minds. 
it, it, it really is amazing. It's one of the things that um, is really inspiring about Sashin is, is realizing that a lot of her pain uh, is caused by what's going on in the mind. If we focus on the pain, if we're thinking about the pain, if we're thoughting about the pain, uh, it's just going to make things worse. And then we come to realize that um, some or a lot of our pain is caused by our own mind. It's caused by what's going on in this monkey mind of ours, uh, with just the, the wheels just turning and, and, th and thinking about the pain. Uh, and sometimes it disappears altogether. Um, So that's that's becoming one with the pain. Once once that is a major hurdle to get through, that, it's, it's kind of that yeah, it's a, a hurdle that we get through that uh, can be so kind of confirming, life confirming that that we can work with our pain that way and getting beyond it. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say is getting beyond the pain. It's still there, uh, but as soon as we return our attention to the practice then the pain doesn't become a problem anymore. Alternate your posture. Every single round, switch it up. You know, you have your right foot on top of your left calf or your, your left hip if you're doing half lotus. Next round, get your left foot up onto your right calf or your, your, um, your hip, your thigh. I always like to mention the no moving. The no moving is really important. That's when we're not moving, when we're not wanting to shift our posture, or I mean, the most egregious, which I never see, people scratching their faces. But it's it's more of like if you're trying to move your limbs, if you move them a little bit, really the not moving, um, it, it allows us by not moving, we're kind of facing a pain. We're facing ourselves. And, and it's committing ourselves to putting our attention on our practice. Uh, and again, that's, the, uh, that's just a great way. It's an essential way to really work, to have more effective zazen is by not moving. Of course, like blinking and swallowing, of course, that's fine. Micro adjustments are fine sometimes. You know, if, if you notice your chin is out, then yeah, during zazen, go ahead and, and get that chin in like a drawer. Let's push it in. Not with your hands, of course, but just physically do that. That's fine to do during during zazen. Uh, it's just the more egregious ones, the the ones that just will not help, uh, like especially moving your legs. Yes, yeah, so we are facing ourselves by not moving. The upper body it can really help if the upper body is, is relaxed as, as much as possible. That's not always, um, especially at the start of practice when we're starting, we have so much tension kind of built in through the misuse of our minds that there's the, the tension has accumulated in our body. So well, a trick that I do sometimes at the start of, of the round when the bell is being struck, those three strikes, is I'll roll one sh shoulder forward and back and then the other one, forward and back, like rotating it back. There, now I already feel my, my chest going up. I feel more energy going up my spine. Of course, I got that natural curve in the lumbar area. 
uh, that those rolling of the shoulders kind of uh, helped with that. Um, that's another micro adjustment I, I, I like to mention is, I, I, I sometimes do, is to just move the chest up. You get that chin in and then bring the whole chest up and you actually do feel energy coming up through the spine. And that's a, that's a good Zazen posture, in which, by the way, uh, through this reading of, of um, Uchiyama's work here, Opening the Hand of Thought, um, we'll, make that, we'll make that point. There is no such thing as a perfect posture. It dawned on me, there is no, there is no such thing. And why is that? Because it's not a stock still posture. We're never, we're never going to reach some kind of stock still 100%. This is it. We're in flux. We're, things are always changing. But we're, we're, without having a goal in our mind, we're really uh, working to have the most effective posture to focus the mind. If as much as possible to have the hips higher than the knees, this is this, this, this primal base, this foundational base in Zen practice, which is your hips higher than your knees, and to have your knees into the mat as much as possible. If, if you can, if your hips are a little too tight and you're finding that your knee is up a little bit, then go ahead and get some kind of support. But to get some kind of um, really foundational, solid base, uh, this kind of like tripod here with the hips and the knees. And another little thing I like to mention because I fell into that trap so much in my first years of practice, which is to not try and have this marine posture. You're not. We're not trying to be these um, these soldiers just getting this ramrod straight posture. You do want your upper body relaxed as much as possible. Um, and what's so incredible about zazen as well is that. Through the daily practice, through continual zazen, day after day, the body does relax naturally. It does open up. There's no particular method or technique that you need to do. You just need to do the zazen posture and put your attention on your practice, and the body will relax. I'm just kind of reminded of of, um, uh, another saying I I like, which is um, the Japanese Buddhists have the saying where it really does take it takes about three years to get the posture down it's kind of that's that was my experience so it's this constant experimentation um let's see what works with within uh what everything we just discussed with you know keeping the chin tucked in imagine it like a drawer this is a trick i just came up with recently i heard it's a kind of a good image to have that chin tucked in so we're not looking down our heads are not down it does help, especially for us thinkers, those of us who tend to think way too much. Our head tends to go up, our chin goes up, uh, and the, but to push that chin in um, can really it can really make a difference. I I noticed that in my practice once I finally got that. It took the constant adjustment by the monitors and Roshi. Uh, I think it was almost a year where they kept kind of adjusting my chin and getting that chin tucked in. But once I did, I did notice a difference. There was, it was just, thoughts were not clinging as much, or I, yeah, I just not clinging as much to it. It was, it was quite a really qualitative thing that, that really helped. All right. So that's, that's my little, my little lecture, if you will, on, on posture.
And of course, this is something you can bring up in, in private instruction as well. If you have any questions about um, posture, then and that's what the monitors are here for. They're here to, to help adjust people's posture so that we can benefit from, from our practice. Kosho Uchiyama Roshi uh, was born in Tokyo in 1911. Uh, he received a master's degree in Western philosophy at Waseda University in 1937 and then became a Zen priest three years later under Kodo Sawaki Roshi. Upon Sawaki Roshi's death in 1965, he assumed the abbotship of Anteji, a temple and monastery, monastery then located near Kyoto. And also following the death of his teacher, uh, he led a 49-day sashin in memorial of his teacher. Uchiyama Roshi developed the practice of anat, the practice at Anateji, including monthly five-day sashins, and often often traveled throughout Japan lecturing and leading sashins. I think he came here to the U.S. I'm not quite sure. I could not find a lot of biographical information about, about this teacher. He has written over 20 texts on Zen, including translations of Dogen Zenji into modern Japanese with commentaries, one of which is available in English, uh, Refining Your Life. Yeah, We read from that a couple of years ago, uh, focusing on um, instructions to the cook. Uchiyama Roshi is also well known in the world of origami, of which he is a master, and he's published several books on this. Uh, he did die 20 years ago in March 1998, a little more than 20 years ago, at the age of 86. And so we'll be reading from this book again, Opening the Hand of Thought. We'll start off with a section called Letting Go of Thoughts. I have already said that if you sit and think during Zazen, then that is thinking and not Zazen. Does that mean no thoughts at all should occur to us during Zazen? Is good Zazen that condition when all thoughts have ceased to come into our minds? Here we have to clearly distinguish chasing after thoughts and thinking from ideas or thoughts occurring. This is such an important point. Um, thoughts will arise in the mind. That's, that's who we are. Is, that's what the brain does. Uh, but it's the pursuing of those thoughts that get us into trouble. If a thought occurs during Zazen and we proceed to chase after it, then we are thinking and not doing zazen. Yet this doesn't mean that we are. Yet this doesn't mean that we are doing zazen only when thoughts have entirely ceased to occur. How should we understand this contradiction? Imagine placing a large rock next to a person and doing zazen. Since this rock is not alive, no matter how long it sits there, a thought will never occur to it. Unlike the rock, however, the person doing zazen next to it is a living human being. 
Even if we sit as stationary as a rock, we cannot say that no thoughts will occur. On the contrary, if they did not, we would have to say that that person is no longer alive. But of course, the truth of life never means to become lifeless like the rock. For that reason, thoughts ceasing to occur is not the ideal state of one sitting zazen. It is perfectly natural that thoughts occur. I think I didn't get this for the longest time. It finally dawned on me. Roshi probably said this to me a thousand times. Maybe not a thousand times, but more than ten, I'm sure. And it finally, finally struck me in Doksan one time where don't suppress, it's not about suppressing your thoughts. It's impossible. When we have no thoughts, we'll be dead. So what we need to do is not avoid the thoughts. What we need to do is put our attention on the practice, but I'll let him speak more of this. Yet if we chase after thoughts, we are thinking and no longer doing zazen. So what should our attitude be? Briefly, aiming at maintaining the posture of zazen with our flesh and bones, letting go of thoughts is the most appropriate expression for describing what our minds, our attitude should be. What is letting go of thoughts? Well, when we think, we think of something. Thinking of something means grasping that something with thought. However, during Zazen, we open the hand of thought that is trying to grasp something and simply refrain from grasping. This is letting go of thoughts. All right, so he does give a definition. He came up with this, this terminology, opening the hand of thought. What exactly does that mean? I use this expression, opening the hand of thought, to explain as graphically as possible the connection between human beings and the process of thinking. And here the process of thinking should be understood to include the emotions, feelings, and all sense perceptions as well as thoughts. Thinking means to be grasping or holding onto something with our brain's conceptual, quote, hand. But if we open it, if we open this, quote, hand, if we don't conceive what is in our hand falls away. Our true self, this is capital S, our true self also includes that which lets go. Opening the hand of thought. Thinking means to be grasping or holding onto something with our brain's conceptual hand. But if we open it, if we don't conceive, if we don't conceive what is in our hands falls away. Even if a thought or something does actually arise, as long as the thought does not grasp that something, nothing will be formed. For example, even if a thought, say thought A, which is a flower, occurs, as long as it is not followed by thought B is beautiful, no meaning such as A is B, that is a flower is beautiful, is formed. So Japanese have this word word called nen. So nen is kind of like the first thought that that comes up. So as long as we don't pursue that thought, say we hear the sound of the train, 
Um, if I just kind of channel that, I hear the sound of the train, ah, the train. I still remember that time that I took the train from Paris to London, and on and on and on we go. And we're not, we're not, we're not focusing on our practice anymore. We're lost in thought. So as soon as we get into that reverie, um, the key really is to notice. And as soon as we notice, just go back to counting of the breath or following the breath. Back to this flower is beautiful. Neither is something that could be taken in the sense of A, which is B, say beautiful flower. So even if thought A does occur, as long as the thought does not continue, A occurs prior to the formation of meaning. It is not measurable in terms of meaning, and in that condition will disappear as consciousness flows on. The flower just disappears. As I explained earlier, since blood recedes, recedes from the head and excitability is lessened by keeping this posture, Zazen is by nature a posture in which we inherently see the futility of chasing after thoughts. So as long as we entrust everything to the Zazen posture, opening the hand of thought will come naturally and spontaneously. Again, however, human life is not a machine. So even in the Zazen posture, it is possible to think as much as we like. <laughs> so the essential point when doing Zazen is to aim full of life at the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones while at the same time leaving everything up to the posture and letting go of thoughts. By aiming at the Zazen posture and simultaneously opening the hand of thought, both body and mind do Zazen in the proper spirit. And this is something, it goes without saying, we do over and over and over again. And it, it, is, it is an uphill battle, but it is, it is a battle that we can master. It is something that all, every single one of us can improve and improve and improve as time goes on. It's just a question of, again, this, another word I like to use is body-mind. So body-mind, really, you cannot tease mind and body apart. So if we're maintaining um, an effective Zazen posture, that is going to improve what's going on in the mind. That's going to improve uh, noticing what's going on in the mind uh, and, and generating that energy uh, by putting our attention on our practice. They are not two. By aiming at the Zazen posture and simultaneously opening the hand of thought, both body and mind do Zazen in the proper spirit. Zazen is not something we think about doing wholeheartedly. It is something we actually practice. Dogen Zenji, quoting Yakusan Igen, called this the thought of no thought. 
something we actually just recited in the Hakuin chant as well. While doing Zazen with our flesh and bones, we aim at letting go of thoughts, which is no thought. Well, when we're doing Zazen, the thoughts become no thought. It's not that they're not there, but they're just, they don't have to hold on. They don't have a hold on us the way it used to. As I mentioned before, we are at all times and in every situation living out the reality of our own lives, whether we believe to be so or not. Nevertheless, we lose sight of this. We doze off or start thinking and cause this reality to appear dull and foggy. And this reality to appear dull and foggy. It's just like driving a car when we are either sleepy or absorbed in thought. Our life, like our driving, driving becomes careless and hazardous. Waking up means to let go of thoughts. That is, we wake up from sleep or thought and perform the reality of the zazen posture which we are practicing with our flesh and bones. All right, next section, waking up to life. Next, in as much detail as possible, I will give an analytical description of the actual internal experience when doing Zazen. All right, so the man got his degree in philosophy long, long ago. Um, Western philosophy, so he knows quite a lot. Um, and he does have some diagrams as well, which I'm not even going to attempt to describe. I don't want us to get lost in this. But uh, we do have another kind of um, metaphor, if you will, that can help instead of trying to describe these diagrams. So I'm going to, as, as best I can, switch over to that metaphor. Uh, and actually, maybe just talk about it right now before I dive into to, uh, his writing here about it. Imagine, if you will, that you are on a one-road highway, one-lane highway. Uchiyama here describes it as just a horizontal line going from Z to Z prime, but I'm going to stop right there and not get into all of the letters that he uses. Uh, but this, this image is going to work. So what we're doing in Zazen is we're staying on that highway. On this highway, there are exits. Those exits are thoughts, feelings, emotions. So what ends up invariably happening as we get on this highway, the next thing you know, we're taking an exit. We're getting off on one of those exit ramps. We get on a secondary road, and we're on that secondary road for a while, lost in thought. And next thing you know, we're in a small town. We might even stop off at a diner and have lunch. Um, and it goes on and on and on and on like that. The beautiful thing about this is as soon as you notice through your practice, as soon as you notice that you're in that diner, get right back on the highway. There's no going back onto the road, secondary road. We don't have to do that. Practice is noticing we're lost in thought and going right back on that highway. All right, so let's use that image, that analogy. First of all, 
were on the highway. This highway represents truly maintaining the Zazen posture. When we are doing Zazen, this highway should be the reality of our lives right now. So by all means, we must keep to it. But human beings sitting are not like rocks that have been set down. We are not fixed. And so it happens that we tend to move away from this line. We move away from this highway. Either thoughts come up or we doze off. For example, thought A comes into our mind and we move off of the highway. If we take this thought as a basis, this in other words, if we take this thought, this exit ramp as a basis and continue with those thoughts, going on the secondary road, getting into town, going to that diner, we are thinking. If something about our work comes to mind, for instance, and we continue with thoughts about the arrangements in management of the work, we are clearly doing nothing but thinking about our work. Then we let go of our thoughts and wake up to the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones. We return to the reality of life. We return to the highway. <clears throat> Just as an aside here, I certainly one of I wouldn't say a negative impression I, ha I got. I, the one thing that uh, I misconceived from the Three Pillars of Zen, uh, Roshi Kaplow's book, is that Zazen or Zen practice is an intellectual pursuit. And that turned out to be wrong. Um, it's not that we, it's not that Zen rejects the intellect. It's that we use the intellect when we need to use the intellect, not during Zazen. I'm just talking about our daily lives. You know, when we need to plan, when we need to figure th something out, when we need to, uh, as he wrote, with thoughts about the arrangements and the management of the work, we are clearly doing nothing but thinking about our work. Well, that can certainly help when we're doing our work. When we're, when we're, if we have some, say, office work, we need to figure things out. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is when we're doing Zazen, uh, the intellect has no place in that. But after a while, we become drowsy as well. This is B. So B, I can kind of picture it as kind of like, an exit, but an exit going down into a tunnel. Perhaps it seems strange to use this progression of symbols, um, just maybe tunnel after tunnel after tunnel, for dozing too, but in actuality, doing Zazen, that is the way it is. That is, when we become sleepy during Zazen and some thoughts floats into our head, we are already dreaming. Having some thought float into our heads is nothing but dreaming. If a thought comes to mind while we are <clears throat> wide awake and we chase after it, this is called thinking. And if a thought comes to mind when we are sleepy and we chase after it, we are simply chasing after a dream in our sleep. Or we may be nodding away and at the, th at the same time thinking that we are sleepy but holding out and sitting as solidly as ever. What we are really doing here is just dreaming. In actually doing Zazen, there is no difference between chasing after thoughts and sleeping. At least speaking from my experience of Zazen, this is the case. Therefore, when we become sleepy during Zazen, we have to wake up by vigorously putting our energy, energy into our sitting with our flesh and bones and cease from chasing after thoughts. 
We have to wake up and return to the reality of life, which can also be exp- expressed in, in, by an arrow pointing up to the highway. So this is one of the reasons why we do always get maintain fresh air in the zendo, even though zendo might be for some people too cold. It's the cold is just a, it's our bodhisattva friend, the cold to help us stay awake. It can help us prevent from falling asleep. In other words, it's just not some masochist thing that's being put upon us. You know, why is it so damn cold in the middle of the night or when I'm doing yaza, this late night sitting? Well, we don't want to make it too cold. We don't want to make it intolerable. But uh, we do want we do want fresh air. It will really it, that can really help us, uh, especially further down the road of sashin. That can really help us uh, stay awake. Sometimes we completely forget about waking up. We may chase after thought, after thought, after thought, after thought. Use that train imagery here. I'm still riding that train. Now I'm having lunch. And end up completely separated from the reality of our lives. In other words, we may become separated from the reality of doing Zazen right now. Without being aware of it, we may start associating with or carrying on a dialogue with some vivid figure that has been totally fabricated fabricated within our own chasing after thoughts. Even at a time like this, if we wake up, that is if we notice, that is actually, excuse me, that is actually, that is actually perform the posture of Zazen with our flesh and bones and open the hand of our thoughts, this very lifelike phantom will disappear instantly and we will be able to return to the reality of Zazen. Ah, phantom. It, that is such a great word for what's going on in our mind. All these, these specters, these phantoms that, that's what thoughts are. They're just phantoms of the mind. I used, yesterday I used that, um, uh, weather pattern or weather storm. It's just, the more we open up this hand of thought, the more likely this weather pattern, this storm, will dissipate. This is truly, this is a truly remarkable point. It makes us realize clearly that our fantasy has no reality and that it is nothing but empty coming and going. Again, it's being lost in, when we are lost in our thoughts, as soon as we notice get back on the highway. This is really the miraculous thing about Zazen is that there's no, there's no, there's no working our way back on the highway, you know, through other thoughts. No, as soon as we have a thought, as soon as we notice the thought or thoughts, as soon as we get out of this fantasy state and we notice, get back, you get right back on the highway. Just get, focus your attention back onto the counting of the breath or following the breath without any other dialogue. This is another trap that we often get into, is having this dialogue about why is this so hard, or, oh, God, I'm lost in thought again. No. As soon as we notice, get back on the highway. And 
if we just, that, really the noticing is the zazen. And this is what Uchiyama's Roshi is really getting to, and we'll talk a little more about this later on. But the zazen itself is the noticing. The no, as soon as we notice, it's not entirely just the highway of this um, kind of really, um, this, this blank state like a stone, like Uchiyama talks about, this, this stone, this lifeless solid stone that has no thoughts. That's not the highway. Uh, it's the noticing. Um, and, and as time goes on, as we, as we keep doing this practice day after day after day, month after month, year after year, we notice more and we get back more. It sounds, I mean, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds, it, it sounds like, oh, okay. Um, and yet, and yet it's not simple. It's not, it sounds simple, but it's not easy. Uh, but again, the, the, the great thing about Zazen is we just get better at that. We just get better at noticing. I used to beat myself up so much, where especially during, you know, during a meal, uh, filing out and going and having a meal and then realizing that I wasn't on my practice at all throughout that whole thing. Well, of course, it's, it is harder to do this moving Zazen. But it doesn't matter. What matters is noticing I'm lost in thought and then just picking up my spoon. And then I'm lost in thought again. I get that soup in my bowl. Just continually returning to What's here now? I think I'll repeat what he just said. This is a truly remarkable point. It makes us realize clearly that our fantasy has no reality and that it is nothing but empty coming and going. At any rate, noticing things like this during Zazen, whether it's like a whole bunch of thoughts, uh, we should wake up to Zazen as soon as possible and return to the highway. Actually, doing Zazen is a continuation of this kind of returning up or down. That is, the posture of waking up and returning to the highway at any time is itself Zazen. This is one of the most vital points regarding Zazen. Earlier, I mentioned that when doing Zazen, the highway, or just doing Zazen, should be the reality of our life. So it is essential to maintain that line. However, I now have to restate this. I now have to restate this. Highway represents the reality of the posture of Zazen, but the reality of our life is not just a highway. If it were only the highway, then we would have no life and would be the same as a rock. Although we aim at the line, we can never actually adhere to it. We tend to diverge from it and go off it in various ways. The very power to wake up to the highway and return to it is the reality of the life of Zazen. Zazen enables us to realize that all the thoughts that float into our heads are nothing but empty comings and goings without any real substance and that vanish in a moment.
there's this great book that was recommended to me called The Zen Harvest, Japanese Folks and Zen Sayings. I was just kind of flipping through it. And this is one of the poems I came across. Go along the broad street. Just go straight. The small ones are often blind alleys. Actually, they're all blind alleys. Truly, all thoughts, delusions, and cravings are like bubbles and are nothing but empty comings and goings that have no substance when we wake up to Zazen. Even a hell like Avicii, developed by our own thoughts and fantasies, becomes eradicated in an instant. Zazen enables us to experience this as reality. The reason I have taken it upon myself to try to explain with diagrams what is actually happening during Zazen is this. Usually people tend to think that doing Zazen means to aim at the line, to train and discipline their minds, and finally to hold, hold firmly on the line itself. I wish to make it... Here I just, instead of using highway, I decided to use the, the, the word line. might be a little more helpful. So let me repeat that. Usually people, people tend to think that doing Zazen means to aim at the line to train and discipline their minds, and finally to hold firmly to the line itself. I wish to make it clear that Zazen is real life, the Zazen that Dogen Zenji called the correctly transmitted Zazen of the Buddhas and patriarchs. It's not like that. Time is almost up. Just a little more about this line. Um, I mentioned earlier about uh, my own frustration with trying to stay on this line, especially with, with the meals. What can be so pernicious about um, sashin when we're, say, in line getting our food is thinking that we need to be on that line. Like it's some kind of this line is like some kind of blank slate, or even just just being t- totally completely lost in thought, just going on and on and on. The pernicious thing about that is once we notice, go good, you just notice it. I'll get back on that line. Just get back to Zazen itself. Um, the noticing itself is the Zazen. Uh, so the beating ourselves up or the critical, uh, the, this critical mind that we have of beating ourselves up, it's not going to do us any good. Notice it, but get back, just get back to noticing. And all right, just, just get back to... without the commentary. The other extreme is, you know, we can get into a deeper state 
And then the thought's going to be, oh, I'm doing pretty good here. Mm. Already then, we're lost. Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.